0: Live from the Toad Hop Network studios
1: in Hollywood. This, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com.
0: It is strongly addictive.
1: Radio worth watching. Radio
0: worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda: understand, inform, and entertain. Now here's your host, Sean Aston. Love our theme song.
2: All right. Hello, everybody. Take a good look. I'm your host, Sean Aston. I'm telling you that because for those of you who are watching and not just listening, I have a full beard. And uh, you might not recognize me. Um, I'm doing a horror movie. Uh, and so I've created a horrible look for myself. Um, I'm very excited about... Uh, vox populi today and about this wonderful radio show in fact i'm as excited as you can possibly get because we are looking at um uh just such a well i think it's fun other people go and it just drives them crazy but i think it's fun brett i don't know if you can hear me but hold on buddy uh and i've got 813 can you hear me
3: yes
2: all right great hang hold on just for a second okay Okay. I'm just doing my little intro for the show here. Um, all right, everybody. So we have the second presidential debate of the 2012 election, the second of three. Uh, it came hot on the heels after the vice presidential debate, and uh, it was a barn burner. It was very exciting. In fact, it was uh, – in, in some ways, it was really disturbing and uncomfortable. And in other ways, it was illuminating. Um, lots to talk about everything from, uh, CNN, uh, correspondent Candy Crowley, who was anchoring the thing to the questioners at the debate to the optics, the, the style, the tone and all that. And then there is a whole lot of substance to talk about, uh, that, that was, uh, you know, great for, for American viewers to, uh, and viewers around the world. 70 million people, according to somebody, tuned in, to, plus, tuned in to see this, uh, debate. Another 70 million for the previous debate. Americans are paying attention. Good for us. You know, I don't know that we should base our opinions, uh, entirely on debates, but, uh, it finally is something where everybody can, um, Coalesce around and agree to uh, take a look at it at the same time. So, uh, my caller from the eight one three. Who are you? And where are you calling from?
4: Hi, my name is Jake. I'm calling from Tampa, Florida.
2: Jake from Tampa, Florida. What do you think of the debates? The debate. Sorry, uh-huh. this most recent debate.
4: Right. Right. Um, well, it was definitely interesting. Uh, I felt like uh, both candidates definitely came more prepared, um, more speaking for Obama. Uh, cause you know the first debate he he just didn't seem like he knew what he was doing there but he definitely uh, felt like he was more prepared um it was also interesting I was kind of interested on uh Obama speaking about the the Benghazi attack um claiming that he he basically claimed it was a terrorist attack the day after which you know you look around and and for two weeks they said it was you know protest so it was kind of interesting on that uh, that perspective um but overall um I felt that a lot of information was put out there and you know, everyone's kinda taking that in and figuring out what's going on with
2: it. Well, the uh it's sorta of silly, I guess, to choose a, a winner and a loser when there's so many um issues, you know, so much so many layers and so much complexity and so much that goes into it. But just for the pure sporting aspect of it, who who could you pick a winner of the debate?
4: Um <clears throat> I try to look at it from a neutral standpoint as best I can. Um, it's all, honestly, this, I would probably put it, I mean, if you have to choose someone, I would probably say Obama got a little bit of the edge this time, um, uh, just because he felt like he was so much more prepared than the time before. Because, I mean, I believe anyone can usually agree Mitt Romney won the first debate. But this time, I definitely think that Obama kind of edged out slightly.
2: All right, man. Well, thank you very much for your call. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, six one seven. Is this Brett calling in? All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, six one seven. Is this Brett calling in? All right. Thank you very much. Six one seven. Brett. Hello, hello, hello. Do I have Brett? Is this six one seven? I'm hearing a little bit of feedback. Not sure where that's coming from. It's what?
5: Are you trying to to me?
2: Uh, I think so. Who's this?
5: <laughs> this is Ilana. <laughs> Ilana, sorry <laughs> like, about that. I thought
2: you were one of my regular callers. for uh, named Brett, but tell, wh- Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Boston. Boston, Massachusetts. Wow. Okay, so uh, a res- were you a resident there while um, Governor Romney was governor of the state? I was. All right, what- um, I was. I was in college and not really
5: paying too much attention to what was going on around me.
2: Well, what did you think of the debate?
5: So here's the thing. I did not watch the debate on purpose because here's, here's my issue with the debates and this is going back to, you know, everybody's talking about Romney's, you know, comment about the women, what have you. I didn't see it because I, I don't like I'm a Democrat, you know, and, but I don't like how, you know, the media is kind of bullying him. Now debates, you know, obviously they are off the cuff, You know, if I was getting up there and talking, you know, I'd probably say something stupid, too. (laughs) Most people probably would, even if they're really well prepared. You know, questions are being fired at you. It's really, um, you know, it's really fast-paced, everything. And, you know, even if you have some great ideas in your head, sometimes, you know, your brain goes blank and you say something. You say something stupid and everybody holds it against you for X amount of time. I'm sure it's happened to Obama. It's obviously happened to Romney. It's happened probably to every president that we've ever had. And it just, I just don't like how, you know, everybody's putting so much weight on this you know, debate and the one previous, what have you. I wish that they would just, you know, give them a whole bunch of questions and let them, you know, take, you know, a week, take a month to, you know, write out their answers and then say, okay, here's my thoughts on this. Hear my thoughts on this. Hear my thoughts on this. Without the arguing back and forth, because literally, it's. I feel like it's so childish sometimes. Um, you know, with them, with them, like basically arguing with each other on national television, and so that that's my that's my thought. It's obviously. funny because what you have is but,
2: people. You know. That, Someone will have their own opportunity to stand and talk by themselves to a a, a forum of of uh, supporters. You know, they'll take out commercial ads that are designed and refined down to communicate a certain message. And people feel like, you know what? If you could just get these two guys in a room and say, "What do you really think?" and "What do you really think?" and be held accountable. So it's like uh, we I don't I don't know that we'll ever be. Completely happy, but let me let me just play that little uh, clip that you're talking about, the Binder Club. All of my thoughts, and you tell me what you think. Hold on, here you go.
6: And uh, important topic,
2: sure. and one which I learned a great deal about. Uh, per- Actually, wait, before I do that, let me go to the. Uh, equ- it was Catherine Fenton who asked the question, uh, and let me see if I can play her uh, her question. Do you have, can you play this this uh, thing right here, the Johnny, the the chord that comes out of here. Okay. Here, let me see. I think I have her question teed up here.
1: Um, And it's Catherine Fenton uh, who has a question for you.
7: In what new ways do you intend to rectify the inequalities in the workplace, specifically regarding females making only 72% of what their male counterparts earn?
2: Okay, so her question was fair pay. Women get $0.72 cents on the dollar for what men, men are. That was, her, that was her question. Okay, here is his answer, Governor Romney's answer.
6: Particularly as I was serving as governor of my
2: state. Back it up a little. Here we go.
6: Thank you. And uh, important topic, and one which I learned a great deal about, uh, particularly as I was serving as governor of my state, because I had the, the chance to pull together a cabinet, and uh, all the applicants seemed to be men. And I, and I went to my staff and I said, how come all the people for these jobs are, are all men? They said, well, these are the people that have the qualifications. And I said, well, gosh, can't we, can't we find some, some women that are also qualified? And, uh, and so we, we took a concerted effort to go out and find women who had backgrounds that could be qualified to become members of our cabinet. I went to a number of women's groups and said, can you help us find folks? And they brought us whole binders full of, uh, of women. I was proud of the fact that after I staffed my cabinet and my senior staff, that the University of New York uh, in Albany did a survey of all 50 states and concluded that mine had more women in senior leadership positions than any other state in America. Now, one of the reasons I was able to get so many good women to be part of that team was because of our recruiting effort, but number two, because I recognized that if you're going to have women in the workforce, that sometimes they need to be more flexible. My chief of staff, for instance, had two kids that were still in school. She said, I can't be here until 7 or 8 o'clock at night. I need to be able to get home at five o'clock so I can be there for making dinner for my kids and being with them when they get home from school. So he said, fine, let's have a flexible schedule so you can have hours that work for you. We're going to have to have employers in the new economy, in the economy I'm going to bring to play, that are going to be so anxious to get good workers, they're going to be anxious to hire women. In the the last uh, four years, women have lost 580,000 jobs. That's the net of what's happened in the last four years. We're still down 580,000 jobs.
2: All right. So the binders full of women thing is just a phrase and an image that people could grab onto and just have so much fun with. Uh, you know, I bet he was shocked that it got that kind of reaction because what he was trying to say was look at the overwhelming amount of qualified women that there are uh, for these jobs. He was trying to make a case that there's more. Now he totally ignored the idea of fair pay, just either didn't get it or didn't want to answer the question. Just, Just, you know, the issue was 72 cents on the dollar a woman making per, what he was trying to show, what he was making was an affirmative action argument. That he was into going out of his way to make sure that you found equally qualified people who may not have been, you know, favored by the traditional system and the way it gets put together. And then, so, you know, I'm sure he wasn't. I don't know that he would want to have made an affirmative action argument, but that's what he seemed to be doing. Um, hang on one second. Don't go anywhere. Hello, this is Sean. You're on Vox Populi. Who is this? Hey,
8: Sean. This is Sam. How are you doing?
2: Great, Sam. Where are you calling from?
8: Florida.
2: Florida, okay, I'm going to put you on hold. You're in the queue, okay?
9: Okay, thank you.
2: Hello, is this Brett? Uh, no, this is Sarah. Sarah, okay, hang on, Sarah. You're in the queue, okay? Hold on. And 440, who's this calling in? This is This is Linda from Ohio. Linda, okay, Linda, hold on. You're in the queue, okay?
10: Thanks.
2: All right. Can you wait? Hold on. Let's see if we can do this here. Resume call. All right. Are you back with me? Yes. All right. Great. So, so he, uh, so he makes this sort of uh, affirmative action argument, but then he says something that's fascinating. He says five hundred and was it eighty-two thousand women. Uh, let's let's just play that little statistic because this is not what got the most amount of play.
6: I mentioned three and a half million women more now in poverty. Three and a half. Okay. So they're going to be anxious to hire women.
2: Hold on. Why are we playing? In the
6: last uh, four years, women have lost 580,000 jobs. That's the net of what's happened in the last four years.
2: So he's saying women have lost 583,000 jobs net, and he's saying 3 million more women are in poverty. Somebody fact check it. I don't know. But the but I think that um, that discussion, that debate over those numbers, what does that mean? Is that an accurate number, that that. I think it's a great discussion to have, and I think because people jumped all over the binder business, they they ignored that. And I think President Obama actually did answer the fair pay question with the Lilly Ledbetter Act and being able to go back over an extended period of time and sue for uh, pay discrepancies uh, based on gender. So a lot to ask there. Do you have any thoughts before we jump off?
5: Well – I I mean now that I hear it, I'm thinking to myself. Why are people even making a big deal about this? You know, it's like it was literally just a comment. It wasn't. It doesn't seem to me to be derogatory or anything at all. It's just, you know, that's that's one. Of well, there things were a couple kind of things that came out. Harping.
2: There were a couple things that came out. One was that there was an organization that uh, put itself together uh, to uh, to collect. Resumes of uh qualified women and present them to both candidates in the gubernatorial election, so that when one or the other of them won, they would have that at the ready so there was some some uh argument that they uh, that he he didn 't task out his people. the information came to him that was that was one thing and then the other thing is just the idea that um you know making sure that it was a workplace that was uh you know friendly to women with women's issues uh you know making sure there's child care available or the at- work hours can be adjusted and this sort of thing i think is a is a you know is a laudable um thing that governor romney was was relating from his personal experience as a governor but i think isn't necessarily the most um isn't the first thing that la- that uh women who uh, how do I say it without how do I say it that yes, in the women 's right, mo- white rights movement that 's not the at the f- forefront it 's wanting to get paid equal amount for an equal amount you know d- uh, the same dollar for dollar that a man 's getting paid for the same work that's that 's a kind of a, a primary uh, issue. So, alright. Well, thank you so much for calling. And, and I agree with you. I think that, um, the, the binders full of women thing is, is yet another one of these political jobs that, uh, people go on. And, and it's, uh, it's funny. I, it's really funny. Some of the stuff that's out there, but it's, uh, distracting, particularly when we're less than three weeks away from the election. Thank you so much for calling. My
5: pleasure. Thank you.
2: All right. Let's see if I can go. I can't remember the order we got these calls in, but let's go to six one. Uh, let's go to, um, I think this 813 was next. Hold on. Are you on the phone?
8: I am on the phone.
2: All right, excellent. Who is this and where are you calling from?
8: I'm Sam from Tampa, Florida.
2: Sam from Tampa, Florida. Tell me what you thought about the debate.
8: Um, well, it wasn't as good as the first one that they had. I thought that President Obama was actually pretty rude. Um, I think he went out too strong this time. Or the last time, he was kind of just very timid and, you know, Mitt Romney kind of put him in place, and uh, I think he was a little too aggressive. Um, you know, like always, he kind of ignores ignores what's happening, uh, you know, just kind of uses the same, the same terminology that we've been hearing for the last four years. It's kind of a lot of the same story.
2: Okay. Um... I had a – my opinion was early on when there was a question of the energy question and Romney was – went on the attack saying that the administration had cut permits to uh, drill on federal land. And and he talked about the fact that they there was uh, he he threw out a large a large uh, number and Obama disagreed with him said no that's not true which was his uh, refrain throughout that's not true that's not true that's not true um, the the I've watched very closely I've watched debates all the way through twice and I've watched this particular section four or five times a, a, additional because I had just the opposite. Uh, reaction i was I try and watch it fairly i 'm an obama guy i 'm a, a democrat but okay. i I try and watch it fairly and the body posture the actual like you know cage fighting first of all totally uncomfortable format calling it a town hall format is ridiculous basically oh that, w- that
8: was terrible yeah
2: i mean the the way they they handpicked these uh the questioners and I, I have their names and i have their questions here and we can we can listen to it throughout the uh the show today but but the this i this pugilism that was promoted almost came you know according to sean hannity and another person on cnn wrap-up whose name uh she's a uh uh, new journalists, that I, not new, but new to me, um, were remarking, as others did, that it almost seemed like they were going to f- they were going to physically fight. That it, that there was almost a uh, you know there was a squaring off. Like you'd have on a schoolyard where you know you put shoulder to shoulder and you start walking around in circles and you wait to see who's going to f- throw the first shove and everybody's yelling fight, fight, fight. I mean that was the it – was, it was almost physical. And as I studied that particular interaction, which was the first of the kind of combative physical gestures, in my opinion, Romney was the aggressor. He walked forward. Obama walked away saying that's just not true, actually turned and sat on his seat – Romney asked the question. Let me see if I can actually, I can actually play it here. Um, where is the? Uh, Spar- yeah, I, de- I
8: definitely know what you're referring to. and I think in that case you are correct.
2: So, but then um, then, you know, then Obama he turned and stepped up. Like I'm not going to be physically intimidated by you. And then mm-hmm. Romney. Closed what was probably a six foot gap to a three foot gap. It was almost umpire and head and manager, you know, on second base, screaming, turning your hat around, screaming your face proximity. And I just thought (laughs) like that. Gesture that move, he, he did a lot of, you know, Romney has, I think it's five sons, and he must have been in any number of arguments with his children, or they must have been any, have any amount of back talk to him, where he would have put his hand up and a parental thing, and, and said, I'm going to ask you a question, and when the kid tried to talk, no, I'm going to ask you a question, I'm going to ask you a que- I've asked you three times, you're going to answer my question, it's a very, you know, paternal thing, I'm not going to say condescending, even though it was condescending, but for the purpose of this particular thing, he was putting a question to Obama, a tactic he used three or four times to no effect. I would have backed off that tactic because Obama wasn't just going to let him railroad over him with questions. Obama was like, you know, proceed, governor, please. Pr-, you know, he's like not going th- with when it came to uh, the, the, the 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 Syria thing, when it came to um, uh, uh, what was the other one where he said, uh, oh, I, I'm, I'm losing the thread of it. But but just to this first interaction, Obama, then they were face to face, two feet apart. And Obama peeled away, backed off and looked kind of like at the referee at Candy Crawley who was 30 feet away like, uh, I'll answer the question kind of like, th- help me out here you know, and and uh, it, was, it was, I thought what Romney did in that moment was un-American it wasn't just rude it was un-American he's standing on the stage with the President of the United States now the President of the United States could be Totally wrong, could have a totally different set of uh, facts that he's drawing from that you think are completely ridiculous, and you have now earned your right to be on that stage, you know, toe to toe metaphorically. With him, yeah. so that your voice it has just the same level of physical amplification, and you're getting, you know, if the moderator does her job appropriately, equal time to make your case. But to physically square off against the President of the United States like that, I thought was un American and should have disqualified him for the race. That was, and then I carried all of that emotional energy for the next. 10 15 minutes while they settled into a more, you know, like reasoned back and forth, you know, debate style, you know, trading blows. And then I had to watch the debate over again, like having, you know, kind of shed myself of that emotional response. So, um, so, but uh, t- give me your thoughts on that because I know you and I are coming at this from a, a from kind of uh, opposing viewpoint. So I want to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, and
8: I definitely agree with that um, to that extent that it was very rude and very un American. Because no matter what you believe, you know, um, whether you're a leftist, rightist, you know, it doesn't matter. You're right. He still is the president. He, sh- he still does uh, deserve respect. You know, we America did take him to be the big choice. Whether you did or not, that's not the case. You know, he is our president, and you have to give him the respect that is required for that. Um, and, and in that situation, I think, you know, you had it right. Um, Romney was actually very getting up in the space. Um, which I don't mind, you know, somebody having a stage presence. That's great. You know, it shows that person that you are. But there, there is a definite, you know, a limitation in, uh, you know, getting an actual to space. But, um,
2: but well, yeah, I that's, think that's, uh, to be fair to that. both sides, I think uh, Obama did uh, talk over the moderator a couple of times and did uh, interrupt uh, Romney several times. So, you know, there there, there is a there, there is enough kind of like, you know, etiquette, uh, you know, demerits to go on both sides. I just thought that one particular one was uh, was kind of over the line. All right. Thank you so much for your call. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck down in Florida on the election. All
8: right. Thank you. You too.
2: All right, we're going to go now to, let's see if we've still got this person, I think it's Sarah. Sarah, is that you?
9: Yes.
2: All right, so turn is. off your... It's turn actually
9: off. Um, me and my little uh, brother, Johnny.
2: Hey, Johnny, how are you?
9: Oh, he can't hear you,
10: bud.
2: He's good. <laughs> <Sit> down, Johnny. <laughs> so it's sort of me and Johnny. Um, how old is Johnny?
9: Yeah, he's, he's 16. He was uh, going to comment after uh, I'm I'm through. <laughs> All
2: right. Go. What do you What did you think of the debate, Sarah?
9: Uh, they were really uh, interesting, and I had a lot of fun watching them. I watched them with my dad and uh, with Johnny. Um, I think that overall, if, if I had to pick somebody that I thought uh, won, I would say that Obama won barely, and I don't know why, but I guess people liked what he was saying.
2: You use an interesting word there. You you use an interesting word fairly because there was uh in the Fox News quarter there was a lot of complaining about the fact that Obama got I think it was three more minutes uh net talking time over the course of the debate and that um and that Candy Crawley the the moderator uh, they felt had been had kind of unfairly um, intervened in a couple of interactions and, and that benefited uh, benefited Obama. But but am I getting you right? You think that it was a, a fairly? I mean, it was a little clumsy. I I, I think it was a clumsy debate went from that. You know, from a moderator I perspective. Think, but.
9: I think there were a couple of times when maybe she stepped in and very obviously defended Obama, which I felt was somewhat um, unnecessary.
2: Um, the two that str- the, I, I, the the two that come out to me, I, I thought the most um, helpful she was to Obama wasn't even the Libya issue and the terrorism word because I think that's going to get uh, that that was pretty. We'll unpack that in a minute. But the the one uh, I've been going back and forth with a, a Twitter follower about the Fast and Furious program, which uh, started, uh, which was, uh, which. Exploded in the administration's face during uh, the early parts of during 2009, I believe, or 2010, um, and it was a uh, this thing where where guns were uh, funneled to um, uh, middle people or to the to drug uh, to the drug war, the drug lords, or so forth, to, as an attempt to sort uh-huh. of try and track them, track them back, or something, and it was. It was – but it was really uh, ineptly handled, mismanaged, probably poorly conceived in the first place and was basically a disaster. It ended up getting the attorney general, Eric Holder, uh, cited for contempt of Congress because he asserted executive privilege, which meant we don't have to show you – we, the administration, we, President Obama's team, don't have to show you, Congress, what we want because um, – what you want because we, we uh, we have this thing called executive privilege where we don't have to do it. Hold on one second, Sarah. Hello, hello, who's this?
11: Hey, this is Brett.
2: Oh, Brett, good man. All right, we've, we've got uh, Linda in the queue right, right after you, and we're, we're, uh, we're almost finished up with Sarah, so just hold the line, okay? Take yeah, care, man. All right. Sarah, Sarah, are you back on? Okay. Anyhow, so there was a a moment where Romney uh and as part of I think it was an immigration answer, went into that, you know, kind of invoked the Fast and Furious as the the name of the operation as it was called, um the the code name I guess for the operation or the operation name anyhow. Um when he was finished with that question, it was really going to turn over to Obama who was going to have to handle that, you know, like why are you asserting executive privilege on this thing and it has to do with gu- uh gu- you know, gun violence and so forth and and kenny crawley sort of uh wanted to do a follow-up question with romney um and and he then had to spend two minutes responding to what she said by the end of that two minutes the concept of the fast and furious uh charge had kind of fed away and now it was time for the next question so she really did it's it's a it's a it's a um a black eye for the administration, and Obama didn't yeah, have she, to spend any she, minutes. She,
9: she wasn't my, uh, my favorite moderator so far. I really thought um, the last one for the vice presidential debates uh, probably did the best, in, in my opinion, at keeping uh, both of them um, in, in, in order and, and in line while, while it still felt kind of like she was part of the debates.
2: Well, the the format I just thought was crazy. Dan Rather, the um, the journalist, uh, the the extraordinary journalist uh, who was one of the two or three faces of American, you know, news for thirty years, and and uh, anyhow, he was on one of the talk shows last night, and he was saying that he th- he thought that she did a, an impeccable job. That he thought that the uh, yeah. the Republicans afterwards who or the, the Fox News folks who didn't like uh, her moderating and thought that she got in the way were ridiculous and and that he he thought she'd done the journalism uh, profession a credit. So I would have given her a B. I've actually enjoyed her. I've watched her career over the last few last several years for for at least almost a decade have probably watched Candy Crowley and, and have seen how smart she is and, and watched how she got tired of being on the, the campaign trail after a period of time and, and watching her kind of come into her own as a moderator. I thought that she was uh, soft. Um, she she almost seemed to be apologizing when it was uh, her time to uh, enforce the rules of the she debate. be a
10: bit more firm.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think she did. And, and yet, uh, let me go ahead and play real quick this moment where um, – uh, this moment, there was bit, the big moment coming out of the debate on, on Libya where they, they get heated. Let's see if I've got the right thing queued up here.
1: Okay. Something, Mr. President, then have the governor just quickly. Uh, your Secretary of State, as I'm sure you know, has said uh, that she takes full responsibility for the attack on the diplomatic mission in Benghazi. Does the buck stop with your Secretary of State as far as what went on here?
12: Secretary Clinton has done an extraordinary job. But she works for me. I'm the President, and I'm always responsible. And that's why nobody's more interested in finding out exactly what happened than I did. The day after the attack, Governor, I stood in the Rose Garden, and I told the American people and the world that we are going to find out exactly what happened, that this was an act of terror. And I also said that we're going to hunt down those who committed this crime. And then a few days later, I was there greeting the caskets coming into Andrews Air Force Base and grieving with the families. And the suggestion that anybody in my team, whether Secretary of State, our UN Ambassador, anybody on my team, would play politics or mislead when we've lost four of our own governor is offensive. That's not what we do. That's not what I do as president. That's not what I do as commander in chief.
1: Governor, if you want to reply yeah, to this quickly, I certainly do.
6: This, I do. I think it's interesting. The president just said something which, which is that on the day after the attack, he went to the Rose Garden and said that this was an act of terror. That's what I said. You said in the Rose Garden, the day after the attack, it was an act of terror. It was not a spontaneous demonstration. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. I, 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 I want to make sure we get that for the record, because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act
12: of terror. Get the transfer. It,
1: it, it, he did, in, in fact, sir. So let me let me call it an act Can of terror. Can you say that Rose a little louder, garden. Candy? He, he, he did call it an act of terror. It did, as well, take it did as well uh, take uh, two weeks or so uh, for the whole idea of there being a riot out there about this tape uh, to come out. You're correct this, about that.
6: The administration, the administration indicated that this was a, a reaction to a, to a video and was a spontaneous reaction. It, did. it took them a long time to say this was a terrorist act by a terrorist group. And, and to suggest, am I incorrect in that re- regard? On, on Sunday, the uh, your your secretary, Kevin. excuse me, the uh, ambassador of the United Nations, one of the Sunday t- television shows, and and spoke about how yeah, this yep. was a spontaneous. I'm, I'm, to, I'm
12: happy me, to I, have a longer
2: conversation you, about foreign absolutely. policy. Absolutely, but
1: I want I want to move you on, and okay, also people can go too. to the transcripts. I just and, want to make sure
2: that. Wow. So recently, uh, students from 31 there. Um, Wow. So I'm going to want to jump in with Brett in a minute to, to talk about that because the, uh, I want to get into some of the details about the aftermath of the Benghazi attack and, and how it's been handled yeah. and, and so forth. But, I mean, she was clearly nervous to ha- – you know, she remembered accurately that he did say uh, w- the U.S. Well, – will- he
9: he, re- he referred to it as an act of terror, but that's not what he meant with his referral. He didn't acknowledge that it was an act of terror. He referred to it as one, but it did take him two or so weeks to actually openly admit that it was an, an, an act of terror. And I think that uh, it's, it's, un, it's unfortunate that they made it seem like he did acknowledge it the day after because he did not.
2: Well, I think the fact that uh, she corrected, she she, uh, she fact-checked at that moment, and said that he did call it an act of terror, um, and then tried to be was nervous and tried to kind of mollify the situation and say, "Well, you know, it did take two weeks for them to come out about the thing." She wasn't clear about that. She and and then and then, So she, it's it's an area that really does need to be understood. It really gets to the heart of how are we communicating our international. Policy about the Middle East to ourselves and to the world. And so we there is a vocabulary uh, deficit that is going on here. And Candy Crawley found herself right smack in the middle of it. And I wouldn't even blame her for trying to point out that he did say, he did use the word acts of terror. That little phrase, those three words did come out of his mouth in the Rose Garden. Now, I've right. watched that since, uh, since and, and I think that you are – You know, there's real validity to what you're saying. There's some more complexity to it. But then she wouldn't let the president answer the charges. She wouldn't let him finish the charge. She wanted to, like, no, 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 Billy Goat. Let's go over and pay attention to a domestic issue. I think that was um, that really did benefit President Obama because it was it just looked like. Uh, now, I I think Mitt Romney booted the whole thing. But when he said – Well,
9: it, it was really the only time that the crowd erupted and, and cheered and, and clapped. Really. Yeah, because was, the cla- – It was in favor of – it was in favor of what she was saying in regards to Obama.
2: Well, it was in favor of not politicizing – you know, he, he made a very, his strongest moment of the debate was there when he turned and said, you know, for you to suggest that any member of my team or that I would play politics with the death of our people is, is, uh, offensive. And that's not how, who I am as president. That's not who I am as commander in chief. Romney really missed a presidential moment there. He came back with a ticky tack thing that was not really thought yeah, there, there
10: were a couple
9: of, there were a couple of moments that I felt like. Uh, Romney really could have have said a few things uh, to benefit himself, but just kind of stayed quieter or or was a little bit more frazzled than... Yeah, I would have said, listen,
2: I would have said, you know, I'm not going to personally challenge your, uh, you know, your loyalty or your ethics or whatever, but it is my responsibility as a citizen to stand up and say, something is wrong here. You didn't come out and give us the right information. And it would have under... It would have been... He would have... He would have come over the top. He would have made President Obama's, uh, s- you know, certitude seem like weakness. But he didn't do that. He booted it. And so, uh, one,
9: one one thing I, I really did, did want to say about about Romney that I, that really uh, probably touched me in the most personal way was when he spoke about immigration, and he said uh, something a- along the lines of the fact that um, while while we as a nation are are in the process of Uh, taking care of the the criminals and all the people that have been let through illegally. Um, That's actually making it harder for those who are really trying to get in to the nation uh, and abide by the law. It's it's actually taking a longer time for them to get in. And that's something that I'm actually dealing with uh, right now with a friend who's trying to come into the country, uh, by abiding by the law in every way that he can, but he's been trying for two years, and it's so backlogged because of all of the um, illegal activity that's been going on, and all the people that have come to the country illegally. And I, I was it was just refreshing to hear him say that. Um,
1: so clearly. Sarah, you've come an
2: and awful long way since your first call into this radio program. I, I think you should be so proud of yourself. I'm gonna go to Linda, but before I do, does Johnny wanna say anything?
9: Uh yeah. I think he, he does. Johnny you wanna say
13: something? Sure. Okay, here here he is.
2: Hello, Sean. Hey Johnny, what do you got for me?
13: Um, I just I want I'm getting into politics now and um you know, I was I watched the debates, the first and second, I missed the advice. Vice presidential debates, um, but I just you know I'm a Republican of course uh, the whole family is um, but after watching that debate I was you know obviously Barack Obama won that not by not by much you know but the things that the immigration thing that Mitt Romney was speaking about it was it was really really nice to hear him say that and the things you know he could have been a little more out there like when he mentioned when Obama mentioned the Benghazi attack I think Mitt Romney should have you know kind of stayed on that because if you notice Barack Obama really didn't answer that he he answered it without answering it and I wanted to know what you what you thought about that
2: all right well I appreciate your thoughts the um, I, I feel like the uh, I don't think he really Answered the question that Americans have right now fully. Either they want to know. Uh, I would think what Americans want to know. What I want to know is if there really was no protest at all happening outside of the embassy. Why? How? Why didn't we know that uh, until some weeks, two weeks later? I, I really don't understand the answer to that. Um, but uh, but I but I also. Um, just the process of how the administration works together effectively to send out a public um, face. You know, if you've yeah. got the UN ambassador and the Secretary of State and a, and a and a and a diplomatic outpost in Cairo and the the White House press secretary, if everybody is not working on the same page, that's a problem. And I think that Obama has not owned up to that, that their team wasn't working properly together uh, at the very least. And at the most, if they tried to give it a certain kind of spin for political purposes, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, th- I think he, I think he was very definitive about that not being the case from his Point of view, but but I think uh, the question could probably be put to him in a more sophisticated way, so that he didn't, uh, so that he had to answer what people are really curious about. Not you know, nobody's accusing him of criminal wrongdoing that I know of. Um, so yeah. there, it, it goes on. I'm going to jump um, on with Brett in a minute here after I talk to Linda. And Brett's going to – he's going to be a real advocate for, uh, for, for you know, holding Obama's uh, – uh, po- holding him politically uh, – you know, holding him accountable and responsible for, for what's happened. So he'll, he'll do great. But, Johnny, it was great to hear your voice. Um, it's always good to have smart, uh, hardworking, thoughtful, and engaged Republicans as it is Democrats. So I look forward to uh, hearing from you in the uh, weeks and months and years to come, my friend. Okay. Thank you. All right, let me see if I can get Linda here. Linda, thanks for your patience. Hello.
10: Hi, Sean. How are you doing?
2: Good. Did you hear all that?
10: Yes, I heard most of it. I did. All
2: right. Well, you get to decide where you want to go. Uh, What did you think of the presidential debate, and and what do you want to talk about?
10: Um, Well, my thoughts in general were similar to yours in that there was an awful lot of aggression going on there. Um, What I saw on both sides, um, what I saw, though, was in general it seemed that Obama – started becoming, became aggressive after Romney did. So it was more of a reaction to not wanting to look weak.
2: Can you, can you. When
10: Romney backed off, I think that Obama backed off. When Romney stepped forward again, then Obama stepped forward again.
2: So is there a distinction in your mind between, you know, forceful, because I think everybody agrees that Obama showed up, you know, to, to make up for. Uh, a, a more subdued performance uh, you know, to w- by being you know, on point and very and very dominating in his uh, you know, sort of going specifically after uh, Romney and his policy. So do, do you, is there a distinction that you can articulate between that and aggression, the other word you used?
1: Um,
10: there was a lot of both. Um, and again, the aggression is what bothered me. I think that Rom- they were both forceful. They were both very assertive. Um, I thought both of them spent too much time trying to talk over each other in the moderator. Um and you know and I didn't like that. I didn't like seeing that I you know if they want to be forceful on their points, fine, but you know back off to getting in each other's face and the being rude to the moderator, which I think they both
2: were. Yeah, I mean for me it's physical it's it's a it's a physical thing. It's about steps taken towards the other person with exactly. with an outstretched pointed aggressive finger you know and it's it 's amazing you know i i haven 't seen the breakdown of how many finger pointing to open hand gesturing uh you know there there were like you you watch in a in a you know, in a, in a boxing match afterwards, you ha- you see the diagram of the uh, of the fighter and their X number of punches to the right side of the head and X number of body blows. <laughs> and like, they, um, But I, I definitely didn't. Um, I, I felt like it was really um, it was really unseemly. We're talking about the presidency in the United States and you'd really like the strength of the presidency to to be manifest in in our military power when 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 a decision is made to use military power that's where the strength of the presidency comes or in uh making really solid moral arguments and pushing legislation through but the idea that you'd have to cockfight you know walk around yeah. kind of fly, like a like a couple of peacocks you know flaring your chest and you know making you know exactly. spitting gestures exactly. at each other like a couple of llamas or something yeah. it was yeah. just terrible so what about um policy wise did you have a a feeling um, policy-wise that you want to talk about? Well,
10: there there were a couple other things that I wanted to mention. One was when the um, issue of um, drilling and mining on public lands came up, and I was extremely disappointed that neither candidate, um, and not even Obama, mentioned the need to um, be concerned about the environmental issues involved. This is public land. This doesn't belong to the corporations, to the oil companies, to the mining companies. It belongs to us and to our children and to our children's children, and it's our responsibility to take care of it. And and neither of them um, indicated any interest or that that was a factor at all. Um,
2: Well, uh, Mitt Romney said uh, to him, you know, nobody here, meaning like on planet Earth, thinks, really thinks...  … That you're going to be a guy who's going to go out there and protect the coal, coal business, protect the oil industry, whichever one he, he mentioned. Um, and and I think I think what's encoded in that insult is the fact that Obama will prioritize uh, environmental uh, regulations higher than he will. It's like nobody's going to say it because it's toxic. It's it's funny uh, to use that word in this result, but but um you know, when you're talking about people's jobs at stake, um the the uh dialectic continuum from the spotted owl to the turtle to whatever it is that that comes to represent uh you know, environmental advocacy at the expense of People's welfare, uh, that, that, it, that, you know, it's very easy. They're, they're so sophisticated on every issue. The, every, all their words have been pilot, t- road tested and, and, you know, the angles have been scrubbed off, the sharp angle. And so basically you, you, uh, I mean, Obama's basically an old school Democrat, and Romney's an old school Republican. But they find a way of saying what the other person, what the vocabulary used to be of the other side, while meaning what they still mean. It's really, uh, you know, it's it's fun to read articles that re- that really enumerate what uh, what that is. But I, I think you're right. The fact that there was uh, no nuanced discussion about finding a balance between uh tapping into our, our our reserves and our natural resources and protecting I mean listen I, I still scratch my head at these BP commercials that make okay. it seem like, you know, crystal clear waters. And, you know, it's just the, uh, the 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 Gulf Coast has never been so pristine. And I'm like, well, what was that? Remember that camera, that undersea camera at the bottom of the Gulf that was watching for mm-hmm. like two weeks as the oil was spitting out of it and the helicopter shots of the oil slicks? Is it all gone? Did they really clean it all up? And, you know, was there an overreaction by the administration to cut off permits? And th- these are narratives that uh, exist on some level for the uh, the average American. American who isn't, you know, charging down the halls of Congress with a clipboard trying to figure out, you know, what little pieces of legislation have been passed or, or, you know, regulations have been relaxed or, you know, I, who do we look to, Linda, who do we look to, to give us a good, fair, like, you know, scorecard?
10: It's, it's hard to know, Sean, Um, you know, they're both, you mentioned, they're both trying to couch their views and the other person's words so that we don't see the differences. And I think that, you know, in my opinion, it seems that Governor Romney is particularly adept at that. Um, his discussion, of the, you know, to bring back the issue of the, of the binder of women. And, you know, it was just a phrase. People had a lot of fun with it. I had fun with it too. But he took that, he took that idea as if it were something that he came up with. And it was not at all. And he knows he has a problem with women, and so he tried to say, "Look at me! I'm trying to be, you know, I, as governor of of Massachusetts, I went out there and I pounded the table until they gave me um, some women candidates uh, several months before. I before, and he never asked for it; he was given it. Uh, so with his opponent, and so he totally mischaracterized what happened. Well, he also said that a
2: national, to, uh, a national. Uh, analysis said that his administration had uh... the best record on the most amount of women in a in a in, a, in an administration in a state yes, house. But administration. I also
10: read it was no better than than, the, than his predecessor, and that his successor uh, improved the number of w- women significantly. I think it was somewhere in the mid thirty percent, thirty six percent, something like that. Thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven. I
2: read that it had dropped. I saw that it had dropped off precipitously well, by the end of his administration. Drop really. Well, you know. You know uh, all right. So, all right. Well, there it is. I think I should get on to Brett and l- fight about the uh, the, <laughs> the the Libya situation.
10: Okay. All right. All right. Thanks,
2: John. Thanks, Take Linda. Care. Bye. All right. Here we go. Brett, are you there? Yes, sir. Finally. Thank you so much for your patience.
11: No, no problem.
2: I love that. I know I my, my callers now. Talk
11: on here besides me.
2: <laughs> all right. So uh, let's mix it up. Let's mix it uh-huh. up. G- give me your. Um, your thought, your analysis of the de- the way it was handled in the debate. Let's just hear that first, and then we can talk about the actual substance after.
11: Uh, I think that that was probably the worst moderation of the debate that I've seen in the last five or six presidential debates. It was it was terrible. Um, if anybody's going to follow the rules, it's got to be the moderator, and she broke them a lot. And, I mean, you you can get back and forth into the partisan bickering about how many times she interrupted him versus him and and all the rest of that. And and a lot of that's smoke blowing. I mean, you know, is 8% more talking time really that important? I mean, the other way to look at it is Romney used a lot more words, so he had a higher word count. Is that more important? No, I don't think so. I I just think that, you know, in that particular case, cutting him off in the way that she did and then redirecting the conversation uh, just totally changed the characterization of that debate right then and there. And, and to be wrong on top of it. Uh, just
2: well, okay, really so just I want to agree with the first part and then challenge you on the second part. Okay. The, I think that she I, – I think her fact-checking in the moment essentially was right but I think that re and I. But I think that redirecting it. I agree with you that redirecting it afterwards, after she would had such a pivotal, uh, you know, such an important impact. I mean, it really did just kind of like lock in a, a, a certain, per, you know, uh, uh, impression at that moment. And then to and then to redirect it, I did think was uh, was really, 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 really bad. Um, but let's talk about the language he used in the Oval uh, in the in the Rose Garden that President Obama used in the Rose Garden. Let, let's unpack it. Let's unpack it. Okay, my, my – You did get rid of the context, not just the language. Well, it was the day after the Benghazi attack. Correct. And he and, and, and it, I
11: spoke at the day after the Benghazi attack.
2: No, I know, but we, we didn't – all right, let me let – there's so many different uh, threads to pull on here. Yes, he never ahead. used the phrase – he never invoked Al-Qaeda. Nope. He never said – in fact – has it yet? <laughs>
11: uh, I don't know whether they have yet, but the narrative at that point, that they that the administration was very – and this is where I, I kind of take a little bit of issue. I, I don't think they tried to politicize it. I think that they tried to protect themselves from the fact that they made a bad call, and it cost people their lives.
2: The bad call being – not the,
11: it, the, the secu- lack of security. I just um, saw a
2: thing that Reuters just put out that uh, that Benghazi embassy was protected yeah, by that. a small British firm called Blue Mountain.
11: Yes, I've heard of them. Um, actually, uh, <laughs> uh, there's some some guys that contracted them that used to work for Blackwater. Um, but go ahead, finish your your point about. Well, the, the, them I think protecting. they were trying to cover their rear. I don't think they were trying to politicize it. Um, I think they were trying to cover their rear, and I think that they were trying. The, the, what they had in, in in the moment was there was this movie, and there were a whole lot of people in several different cities around the Middle East and in, in Indonesia that were upset. And it was a good thing to seize on the, the from, from the standpoint of a CYA because the press was laser-locked on it for the most part, especially the mainstream media. And, you know, very few people were asking any questions about, how convenient it was that that was September 11, three months after that movie came out, and suddenly there's demonstrations. Well, we were
2: all ta- no. I think a lot of people were talking about that, and you you sort of, you know, I was so enraged at the guy that's who made well, the film that that's on that episode that we were talking on that episode of the show, I was really focusing on that. And you said uh, you said you thought it was a, you know, a a, a, a sideshow that or whatever it was, that it was a cover for this other attack. But very quickly thereafter, the national conversation did include this idea that there were mortars, that there was uh, rocket fire and that there were there was overwhelming force that was not, uh, you know, not a part of it. So it was weird to hear. It was it was it was shocking to hear Ambassador Rice say that we have no um, – uh, that, that it was – that there's no intelligence to suggest there was anything other than uh, th- this this spontaneous uprising, uh, but and, because – in
11: my mind, that just wasn't true, even in the first couple of days, even to a guy who didn't have access to any real intelligence but other she than was observations outlier. of what, what was going on on the internet from eyewitnesses on the scene.
2: But she was I mean, she was out there. She it was almost like she was not like in conversations with the rest of the administration or something. Like she was just went out there on her own because the thing,
11: the thing that really got me is there's more security at the embassy in France than there was in Benghazi.
2: No, but let's you know? let's focus for a minute on I mean there's there's so many layers to this. Mm-hmm. The – according to everything that I've seen, but most importantly, the Secretary of State, mm-hmm. there are um, – there is expert analysis done at all of the installations around the world. And right. they arrive at what they think is um, the the right balance between yes. resources and protection.
11: Uh, okay, I'll – Go ahead. I don't agree with that, but okay.
2: Well, they don't have unlimited resources, right? Uh,
11: They have as many resources at their disposal as they need. Uh, The balance is struck between uh, political consideration in whatever locale they're at, not so much at home, and then what resources and what danger is available. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, Anytime the State Department needs something, the State Department gets it. Um, just like anybody else overseas and in Foreign Service. I mean, if they really need something, they'll get it. Um, there's there's dozens of different ways to get funding and to really all- allocate people. Uh, just working with the government, I can tell you. While there may not be money in money in one bucket, there's definitely money in another. Uh, if they wanted to get somebody there, and they couldn't afford to put Marines on the base, they could have got contractors. Just because it's a whole different bucket. Like it sounds like they did.
2: Sounds like they did.
11: Well, they didn't. That's the problem. There no, this, uh, this Blue security. Mountain group. They got somebody who came in and gave them a security report and said, hey, you guys aren't paying enough attention. This country had a, a complete turnaround six months prior, and the help that we were given by the Libyans wasn't even the Libyan National Army. It was a militia.
2: Well, this, uh, so now I'm seeing that it says that uh, this small British firm called Blue Mountain hired Libyans to secure the embassy. Right. So we've got these weird layers. I just feel like, you know, it's so easy for Americans to all of a sudden when something bad happens, pay attention and start acting like experts like we know what's we, you know, we know exactly mm-hmm. what's there. We we our our compound got overrun, just plain and simple. If oh, it yeah, would have got stomped. It, yeah, so if we and if we would it have uh if it would have been better protected, would the I mean you Well, uh... it's
11: not just the protection, I don't think that we went, I think we should have gone in with a a quick reaction force afterwards, because there's a lot of, a lot of things that sort of, a lot of people are talking about the deaths, and the deaths were tragic, but I mean, the aftermath of that is kind of horrific in terms of of an intelligence loss. I mean, they got a hold of our ciphers, they got a hold of lists of of people that cooperate with us and, and help us with intelligence in the area. Uh, many of whom are probably dead now. I mean, there's a lot of fallout from this because we didn't get people in there and secure that place as quickly as possible because we were worried about upsetting the locals even more.
2: Well, how much of what you just said should be talked about by the president and the secretary of state and the U.N. ambassador right afterwards?
11: Oh, they shouldn't be talking about it at all. Uh, uh, They should just be acting uh, straight up. I, I don't have a problem with the fact that they try to cover their rear a little bit. I, and I, you know, I don't even really have a problem with the president finally, you know, taking his time before he says something about it. That's, uh, to me, that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is the lack of leadership and the lack of foreknowledge and doing what they were supposed to do. Well,
2: when because it comes they to left that, our people hanging in the wind. When it comes to that, uh, you know, boy, intelligence is critical. Uh, to me, mm-hmm. the big, the big, 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 big issue is this is a microcosm of what uh, we are our problems are in the region and you've got a, a presidential candidate a guy who's neck and neck for the presidency who's beating war drums and talking like a, a, a hawk's hawk saying you know what he would do if if he got to be president uh hold on one second I got a two and two coming in there hold on one second hello hello Jeffrey Pollock yo hey, oh, big Jeff okay hold on one second we're gonna we have to take a commercial break and then we'll be back with you okay You got it. Thanks, my friend. Brett, I'm back. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. So I think that Crawley's moderating mistake – and I I think she was trying to do the best she can. I I don't think that she was – really like going out of her way it, it was a very dynamic exchange the net result was that she really did give obama a a, a tip into the goal um but they well, do she, have she this let them,
11: they, she let them directly talk to each other and that was against the agreed upon rules that's part of her job as a moderator is to stop that crap
2: well but they did that the whole debate
11: uh, and she should have shut it down you, do you really think uh, jim lear would have allowed that Jim Lehrer
2: looked impotent.
11: Or Brett Hume or any of the other guys. Brett Hume would have shut them down as fast as you could think.
2: I thought that she shouldn't have been scared to say, gentlemen, I'm here as the moderator, and I'm a- – and, you know, she should have been more forceful. There's no question oh, about absolutely. that. But absolutely. anyhow, That's anyhow. Forgotten. So that being what it is, we have to go to a commercial break, but, but – at least we do have Monday night coming up, and uh, I'm going to be in the Dominican Republic, uh, getting ready to do my little movie that I'm working on. But but hopefully they'll have a TV somewhere down there where I can uh, I can watch because I expect that Mitt Romney is going to have a much more clearly uh, decipherable opinion to articulate about what happened. And I expect Obama, it ought to be a real discussion. And I I hope that at the very least, Americans can come away from it learning something. I don't think anything less is even possible because they've already exhausted all the pablum. They they, got to talk now. Let's hear what they have to say. We'll Uh, see. Yep. We'll see. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Brett. We'll do. And you be good, my friend. All right, sir. All right, let's go to our break, and we'll come back with a, uh, a professional pollster.
0: You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. The soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart, or just go to Soda Stream. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.
7: Whether it's a serious fall, fire danger, or other type of home emergency, Life Alert is there for you. The company, with its slogan, Help, I've Fallen, and I Can't Get Up, protects its members. Here are some of them.
1: When you have a heart attack like I did and there's no one there, Life Alert was there for me.
7: Having a secure feeling through Life Alert is ideal.
10: My independence is possible because of it.
7: Now, Life Alert can also protect you in a fire emergency with a system that automatically notifies our monitoring center. Thanks to Life Alert, you can live alone without ever being alone. With Life Alert protection, elderly people can avoid or delay going into a nursing facility. For a free brochure about Life Alert service, call now, 1-888-443-5588. That's 1-888-443-5588. Call Life Alert now for your free brochure at 1-888-443-5588. Are you an inventor? Or do you know an inventor who would like to attempt to have an idea or invention patented and submitted to industry? For free information on how to get started, call InventHelp toll-free at 1-800-762-7000. InventHelp is America's largest invention company. Their referrals have helped inventors secure more than 7,000 patents. And they can provide free inventors' information for you. Find out how to record your invention's date of origination and get an informative brochure and other material of interest to new inventors. Get started by calling 1-800-762-7000. Even if you have an idea for improving an existing product, you'll want to get this free inventor's information from InventHelp. Find out how to try to patent your invention and submit it to industry. Call now to get your free inventor's information. Call 1-800-762-7000. That's 1-800-762-7000. The food in your grocery store comes with an expiration date, but the hard drive in your computer doesn't. Without warning, your computer could crash, and you could lose your files forever. Are your files backed up right now and ready to survive a crash? They will be if you have automatic online backup from Carbonite. Plans for home and small business start at just $59 a year. Start your free trial at Carbonite.com with offer code PROTECT and get two bonus months with purchase. Carbonite.com. Offer code PROTECT.
0: Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Welcome to hour number two of Vox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Aston.
2: Hello, everybody. We are back from our uh, little commercial break. There. My name is Sean Aston. I'm the host, your host for Vox Populi, voice for the occasionally interested people. We have on the line uh, a gentleman uh, who is a a Professional poll. he does a lot of things, but uh, but it is his role as professional pollster that I'd love to focus on today. Jeffrey Pollack, president of Global Strategies Group. Uh, Jeffrey, how are you?
14: I'm great, Sean. How are you?
2: Good. It's nice to see you after our uh, moment getting to meet your family at uh, at the New York Comic Con. Indeed. Thanks. Do they uh, they, they have a good time?
14: How can you have a bad time at Comic Con?
2: I don't know. It's kind of crowded and people smell, and I don't know. <laughs> um. <laughs> Let me go, let me read a little bit of your bio here, uh, so that the audience has First of all, you're a, you're primarily a Democratic, uh, uh.
14: O- only a Democratic. We o- only work for Democrats.
2: Only work for Democrats. Okay. So I had Frank Luntz on. He was my second guest of the whole show, uh, many months ago. And, uh, he, uh, he, he sort of, a, is an equal opportunity, uh, hired gun. He mostly is a Republican because he's a Fox News analyst and so forth. But, uh, but he, uh, he, he, I, I always, Enjoy the fact that he, he'll just, he's a mercenary. He'll go where the money is. Um, but okay, so let me read a little bit. Um, Jeff Pollock, the president of Global Strategies Group. Um, let's see here. Uh, you were awarded Polster of the Year by your peers in the bipartisan American Association of Political Consultants. Wow. That's a, that's a meeting that should be, uh, Classified. Right? I would think uh, political consult- consultants. Is that still a dirty name? Political consultancy. Political consultants.
14: Not to not to me. Not not a dirty. Not a dirty word or a dirty name to me. That's certainly certainly accurate. Uh,
2: all right. So you've worked with um, presidential candidates. Who who, who uh, what presidential uh, teams have you worked with?
14: Well, I was on uh, John Edwards' presidential team. Fun enough.
2: Okay. Also uh, a leading uh, advocacy organizations. Fortune 100 companies. Um, let me just go through the list of some of these folks that you've um, – wow, it's a long list. Uh, West Virginia Governor Earl Brian. Ray Tomlin, Montana Governor uh, Brian Schweitzer, Connecticut Governor Dan Malloy, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, New York Senator Kristen Gillibrand, Gillibrand Attorney General Peter uh, Kilmartin, Rhode Island, U.S. Uh, Senate Democratic Policy Committee. Well, it just goes on and on here. Um, Really, really interesting list. Uh, something I thought was interesting is uh, the Puerto Rican uh, former Puerto Rican president, or Dominican yeah. president of the Dominican Republic, and the uh, governor for uh, Puerto Rico. That's kind of kind of cool. You've got a, a, a fluent in Spanish, are you?
13: Indeed, yeah. All
2: right,
14: all right. I was raised right,
2: Sean. You were raised right. Well, I'm in Southern California, so uh, hablo español también, señor. Um, <laughs> okay, so I felt that a few weeks ago. A little more than that, that the story, that the the kind of national, when you, when you look back on through the lens of history, uh, the way you would the dangling Chads or uh, you know the television debate, you know the television kitchen debates with Kennedy and, and Nixon, that the story coming out of this election was going to be fact checkers. Mm-hmm. That in the profusion of uh, data, the kind of overwhelming. St- tide of uh, you know access that people have to, if you can think of phrasing a question, there's a thousand websites dedicated to it. Um, that 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 you know f- having groups and organizations and individuals who uh, can carve out real credibility in in organizing information and being able to you know quote unquote fact check people. So factcheck.org and Politifact yeah. and all those things uh, w- really all of a sudden we're becoming the the coin of the realm. Uh, and and we're we're changing the way that uh, um, the the politicians the, the the campaigns were having to frame their arguments and stuff. And then Libya happened, so then it became a much more it kind of put put us back into reality. But now I'm thinking it's your job. I'm thinking it's the poli- the professional pollsters. I mean, you look at uh, 538, you look at um, these poll of polls that come out, and and there's almost uh, you know really people um citizens are having to become better consumers of polls rather than just, you know, take what's given to us than, than at any time uh in the history of polling, I would think.
14: Oh, there's no question that's right. I mean the great part for uh, the American public is that they have access to more data than ever before and that the internet is giving it to them in real time and the internet is allowing people to filter it in ways that they you know that they want and that they like. Um so, I mean, I, 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 there, there's no doubt about it that uh, that the, the proliferation of, uh, of polls is, um, is giving people information. The problem is that there's also been a proliferation of bad polls, uh, and so it's hard for the average individual to figure out and determine whether or not um, they've got a good poll, a bad poll, um, and even to some extent, I can't. Um, some of it is very hard to imagine. There's a poll out today by the Gallup organization, which is one of the oldest, and uh, sort of esteemed organizations that has Mitt Romney, um, according to their data, uh, over the last seven days winning um, uh, by a huge margin. And there's just no other evidence of that. So I I think both it's a great thing, but it's also a hard thing.
2: All right. So when – let's talk – for a second, let's talk about the polling that happens from inside of the campaign. Mm Mm-hmm. You know i my favorite show in the history of television has always been and will always be west Wing just love it it 's my right. favorite show mm-hmm. and they they would always talk about well blah 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 we're going to put the poll in the field. When are you going to put a poll yeah. in the field and it's it's uh and 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 I guess there's secrecy to some polling because you might not want any your your uh, opponents or anyone to know the results of a poll because maybe you can change what you know i don't know tell me tell me what um the, the strategy involved in, in uh, choosing when to put a poll in the field?
14: Well, I mean, the campaigns aside, putting putting polls in the field are about one thing, measuring whether there's been change in opinion. I mean, we do polls at some point early on, um, uh, <coughs> and, we, um, and that's sort of at the beginning of a campaign. But then as campaigns go on, what we try to figure out is, has there been enough um, – Uh, has there been enough spending, right? So the campaign has spent enough money to communicate to voters. That's when we want to go and put that poll in the field, as the parlance would say, uh, and figure out whether or not, you know, whether or not there's been any change in terms of voter opinion. Um, So you basically, you
2: have a, your candidate, uh, you want want them to know that the, the, population know they hold a position on a particular issue you design a commercial that communicates that idea you spend x number of dollars doing it and at the end of that ad buy you're like did it work let's put a poll in the field and see
14: yes that's exactly right and then not only that but you know what's happened and then we test all all sorts of things in that poll to potentially figure out what should we be doing next right what are the messages? what are people talking about what are people thinking about um so we'll you know we we try to figure out what's um, not only what has happened but we try to predict to some extent what can happen going forward if we communicate about Social Security for example or if we communicate about education or if we communicate about abortion um, so we test those things and try to figure out which one is most resonant uh, and most persuasive to the average voters.
2: So when you're sitting uh, advising a campaign and you, you know they have ex- they have limited amount of resources are you, can you do, can you do a poll that will tell them this is, you know, here, whatever it may be, any of those that you just listed or others, you know, gun control or immigration or abortion or whatever it is, you know, this is where we think your best chance is that it's the, the softest spot in the electorate for you to go at, um, based on, on questions that we've asked or, or this is where we think your more, your natural support. I mean, can you, are you basically helping the campaign figure out what to do with itself?
14: That's exactly what we do, and it's no different than any other research that's done in life. Which is, you figure out who likes you already, who doesn't like you, and who's willing to listen to your argument. Um, uh, and it's no different than if you're um, trying to figure out whether or not people buy a brand of Too Faced, or whether people will go to see one of your movies, Sean. Um, you know, it's all about trying to figure out the uh, the sort of sweet spot um, uh, and language and messaging. And what people are interested in. Just the difference here is that unlike toothpaste or a movie, you know, we're talking about who directs policy for the country. Uh, and that's why, you know, politics is so important. It also means, though, that we use polls to figure out look, are women more persuadable? Are men more persuadable? Are, are younger, older? voters more persuadable, because all those things then translate into spending decisions. We make decisions about, okay, if we want to target young people, for example, that means that our television ads are going to go on shows that are primarily watched by young people, or we're going to send direct mail to younger voters. So all of those things... Um, can you give me an example? Can you do a
2: hypothetical sure. for me?
14: Uh, 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 in something like that? Yeah. Sure. We, um, we we go, and we do a poll, and we um, find out that the that the race is tied, um, uh, but we then test a couple of different messages. We ask one message about a candidate's position on education, a second message about a candidate's position on Social Security, a third message about a candidate's position on the environment. And then we figure out how persuasive each one of those messages is and how many voters move. So after we ask those things, we figure out, okay, women 18 to 44 were the most persuaded, and they were most persuaded by the environmental message. That's when you see the environment a, a campaign ad show up in the middle of Grey's Anatomy, um, talking about uh, the environment because Grey's Anatomy is a show that's watched by an overwhelming number of young women. Um, so that's a that that's
11: kind of how it works.
2: All right. So <clears throat> when you talk about messaging, I mean Frank is uh, Frank Luntz is, is is really sort of made his bones in in massaging language and finding you know. Uh,
14: I should know. He was
2: he was my professor and mentor. I should know. Okay, right. I remember that now. So, uh, so it seems to me, and maybe this is just a cynical thing. H- wait, hang on one second. Let me just. Hello. I see you're calling in. Who's this? Uh, this is Daniel Moore. Daniel, I'm gonna I'm finishing an interview. If you want to hang in there for a while, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll get back to you, but it might be a little bit. Uh, I'll hang on. All right. Cool.
3: Thanks.
2: Jeff, I'm back with you. Sorry. Uh, we have kind of a rudimentary system over here and I have to actually answer the calls myself and then put them on hold. So. Um, but I don't want this guy I've been calling in a lot. So anyhow, um it seems to me like there's the kind of poll you go you use to get the truth so that you can make good decisions as a campaign, and then the kind yeah. of polls that you you use to try and be able to push the electorate in a, in an area, so if you ask a question in a certain way, you you'll you'll get you know an answer that's useful to you, so you can you can promote uh, the result. You know what I mean? Is that is there do you sure. see is there a distinct difference between those two?
14: Yeah, I mean, look, we we don't want to we don't care about good polling results. When we're on the campaign, we don't want the the ideal isn't to get a good poll question. The idea is to figure out the strategy behind what we should be doing and then execute on it. In fact, what I tell people is campaign polls are largely not put in the public domain. When you see a campaign poll in the public domain, there's a reason for it. But much of our stuff, much of the thing, much of the stuff that we do in a campaign never gets put in the public domain because it's all strategy. And of course, nobody wants to put their playbook uh, on, on the interwebs.
2: All right. So now what we've got is a profusion of Quinnipiac and uh, you know the just all these other um, polls that we know about the poll of polls and, and, and so forth. Those are purely for public consumption. And and can you? I want to use the fact that I got you on the phone right now. Help us. Uh, I have a list of, of of terms of kind of you know polling terms like oversampling. Can you can you can we go through some of these and and you tell me what they mean and how they're how they're used.
9: Well, the, the the
14: websites that are out there that are the best, I mean, 538, which you mentioned, which is a great thing, because you have Nate Silver there, who's analyzing the data from a very neutral perspective, and this is a guy who's, uh, you know, my kind of guy, a guy who used to analyze baseball statistics as a way of figuring out what's what's good and bad in the world, and now he's applied it to politics. So, you know, 538 is a great resource. Same with RealClearPolitics and Polster.com. They all have averages that take all the different polls and figure out where the averages are because the truth is that in any context you have polls that are good you have polls that are that are not good uh... and so when you take the, the aggregate of them it gets to throw out the ones that are you know uh... uh over the top too positive for one candidate and the reverse you know over the top negative so it, it factors out the outliers
2: so all right uh... Tell me about the speed. It seems like they're taking polls every two seconds now. Are these, are these called overnights? Is there a different, like, I mean, is it just because the appetite is so strong or because the business is so – well, explain to me the, the rapidity the, the, the of it.
14: Bad, the bad part about polls today is you, could, you can pay a couple hundred dollars and have one of these automated polls, a robo-dial, where the computer's calling you up, computer voice, and, and asking you a couple of questions. So anybody can do a poll these days for a very low amount of money. So that's the bad part. Our polls on the campaign side, we never do them overnight because one night polls are bad science. Um, uh, it means you're calling people and you're only talking to the first person who's available uh, you know when when you answer the phone um, and that's not the way we do things. We try to get to the right voters, talk to a good sample of voters, make sure we're talking young, old, make sure we're talking to people on cell phones and not so you know the the, the folks who do this for a living um, we take a lot of care to try to figure out that these polls look right. And by look right I mean geographically, demographically, that they are representative of what the likely electorate will look like.
2: Okay, so all right. So but the big the big boys. The big yeah. boys, they, they, they used to um you know they there there used to be a little bit more um yeah, they, they just used to be more judicious about how they would do it. Now it just seems like—I mean—is the science?
14: Now they throwing anything out there.
2: Yeah, is the they're science solid in those? How do they? All right, I have some questions from uh, from a couple of the uh, the folks on on Twitter. Uh, uh, Ravenna Narun writes: uh, How do you ensure a representative de- uh, demographic? How, how can you? Well,
14: they, There's no way to do it 100%, but because we know a lot about the electorate or what we believe the electorate to be based on past history, uh, we can look and make sure. Look, one thing, when you do survey research today, if you did a a purely random sample and called uh, people, we know that we will underrepresent minorities, in particular African-American men who are the least likely to respond to a survey, Um, and that's not – a statement of value, that's just the truth. So if you did a survey, you're going to come out with too few African-Americans. So we have to do things to make sure of that. One, we make sure that we, get, uh, we, we, um, we drive and make sure that the sample does have enough African-American voters in it. Or we have to do something called weighting, which means statistically adjusting.
10: So if you come
14: up with 6% African-American and the sample should be 8 you have to weight it. Um, so we can make statistical adjustments to the data. Uh, to fix those things, but it's all based on past history, and even that isn't 100%, um, uh, foolproof because we're making predictions. Look, what we know is that the 2012 election is not going to look like the 2008 election, right? We, there's no way that the kind of turnout that we got, um, is going to be the same, um, uh, as, uh, as Barack Obama got in 2008 so we're already making assumptions or thoughts or factoring in um uh what we think is going to happen. So There's no guarantee, no we're we're not 100% sure, but we can make pretty darn good um uh guesses about what things should and should not be.
2: All right, the the question, the follow-up question was what's the gold standard? Who, you know, and how what, for for reliable polls and and I mean, is it 538 like you said or is there some other way of how would you, you know, what do you aspire to, and how often does do people actually live up to it? Uh, I –
14: they the the gold standard, you know, for forever. The gold standard was the Gallup poll, for example. But right now, I'm I'm not sure that I can trust what they've got. I, I think that that there is no one gold standard. Um, I think that the what we're seeing more than anything is, uh, as we discussed, you know, a whole lot of folks who are. Uh, getting into the polling business, and some of them are good and some of them are not so good. There are some automated polls uh, that are very, very good. Um, uh, for example, there's a pollster named uh, PPT uh, that is Democratic leaning, but has been producing great automated polls that for years our um, industry, the polling industry, was sort of down on. But, you know, the truth is now there's uh, there's plenty of, of rationale to, uh, to using these automated
2: polls. Huh. I'm just wondering... Do you is there a professional um, if a Republican pollster does something that's visible to you? Can you sort of think God, I wish I would have done that, or man, that guy's really operating, you know, or whoever's o- operating effectively? Do you have do you have opponents? Yeah, we do.
14: Yeah, we we see we see polls from the other side, and we frequently say, "Wow, that's a good question. We should ask something like that," or "Wow, they're doing something clever or creative." But I'll tell you that because there is science to this. There's both science and art. That the underlying science, my Republican colleagues do it the same way that we do, uh, and um, uh, the only difference is sometimes our models are different. Sometimes they make assumptions. You know, there's a, been a lot of chatter for forever when Mitt Romney was down in the polls. There was a lot of chatter on the right that uh, you know the polls are skewed. Well, that was with with, with love and affection, crap. Um, <laughs> the polls weren't skewed; they just didn't like the results. Um, and I haven't heard the same sort of screaming as many of the polls have come back to earth for Barack Obama and the race has gotten closer, all of a sudden we're, we're not hearing a lot of screaming about skewed polls. Um, so, you know, polls are they, – they, this happens all the time, which is people complain about the ones they like and don't like.
2: Tell me, like I'm a third grader, what the difference is between a likely voter and a registered voter. I mean, I know obvi- – I mean, the obvious thing is somebody's registered and they're not going to vote and someone thinks they're going to vote. But, I mean, is it – but in the polling world, it, it seems like that's a it's, – it's a key thing you know, to that you guys get at. Say, say that again, Sean. I missed t- it. T- so you got your likely voters and your registered voters, and it seems like that distinction is just, uh, you yeah, know,
14: the the, the it's it, it's a distinction without consequence, and I and I'm not even sure anyone knows because you're asking somebody whether they self-describe themselves as likely to vote for the campaign side. We actually use voter history, like we know um, uh, what voters uh, have done. Okay,
2: hold on right there. Um, this is this is something when I was working with Dan. Blew my mind. Yep. You, as a pollster, have access to how somebody has voted in the past. Can you explain how you get that access? I know it's a sure, old, sure. Yeah.
14: It's it's actually all public information. I mean, I can say fi- I can find out how many times you voted. I don't know who you voted for, of course, that's that's secret. But I have I can find out as it is public data in any state, any place in this country, whether you voted and how often you voted. Um, so that vote history is very, very important because in a presidential year it's less important, Sean, because obviously we have a lot of people who come out and vote. But in midterm elections where turnout is lower, it's really critical because if I call you up and say, "Are you likely to vote?" you say, to me, "Well, of course I'm likely to vote." How dare you call me up and ask me if I'm likely to vote? I'm a good, I'm a good God-fearing American. Darn you! Of course I'm going to vote. Uh, but then I look at the voter file and I can figure out. Well, you know, God-fearing American, you actually haven't voted for the last six elections. <laughs> um, uh, and and so the, the the voter file is is what guides us.
2: So so you'll want to choose high, you know, frequency voters.
14: Not high, not high propensity, just people who we think are likely to come out, which could be somebody who only votes in presidential years.
2: Huh. So, but you can actually see if somebody's voted three out of five years, and they are, uh, and you group together, you know, women between twenty five and thirty five. You, you can kind of you – can, you can get a group. You can get a, a group and you can refine a message towards that. I mean it seems like that could be as useful as polling.
14: Yeah, it's, it certainly is. I mean but for – but it's, that's more useful for the campaigns when they're trying to figure out who to target on a sort of individual level. For us and the polling, all we want to do is make sure that we're looking at a, uh, at a representative sample, and that's one of the ways that we do it.
2: Let me hear some really good questions uh, Polester so you, you, you got one minute with
14: me, Sean, unfortunately, and then I got to do a poll presentation. So
2: nice, nice, nice. It. All right, give me some good uh, uh, uh poll questions, some bad poll questions, examples. Give oh, me what's a great poll know, question? Um,
14: you know, do, do, do do who 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 won the who won the debate last night? Um, you know, Mitt Romney or Barack Obama? Um, do, and and then you ask people. Um, uh, did you, uh, what, what if you knew that uh, Mitt Romney had lied about blah, blah, blah? You know, that kind of stuff. That's a leading question. The first question was fine. Who won the debate? Um, the second thing is frequently people are we, people are asked questions that they have no clue about, right? Like, what do you think about the Supreme Court's recent decision uh, on um, blah, blah, blah? And it's like, what? Yeah, people have no idea. Like, when we ask people to opine on things they don't know about, um, that's a bad poll question.
2: All right. Final thought for, uh, for the listeners of Vox Populi about polls going into this last uh, 19 days?
14: I'm hoping that the polls come to some sort of reasonable, rational level of, of conclusion that we're look at, um, at that we going to look at consistently. Because as I said, I do feel bad for all the folks who have to see these polls bopping all around. So by and large, don't pay attention to any one poll. Look at the averages. Look at the real clear politics of FiveThirtyEight, the coms. And uh, I think you'll you'll get a much better view. Otherwise, all that I ask is the same thing that if we think on anything, which is, look, I love politics, Sean. You love politics. We just want people to vote. So that's all all I can
2: ask. Jeff Pollock, thank you very much. Go do your presentation, man. I appreciate all the time, and uh, it was, it's. I look forward to connecting with you again. Anytime. Thanks, Sean. Bye, man. Wow. There you go. All right. I've got this caller who's been on hold forever. Can you hear me now? Hello. Hello, you're on. I'm sorry for the wait. How are you? Tell me your name again. Oh, that's
8: quite all right,
3: Sean. Thank you.
2: Tell me your name again.
3: Uh, My name is Daniel.
2: Daniel. All right, Daniel. And you're calling from the 618 area code, which is?
3: Uh, I am in uh, Southern Illinois.
2: Southern Illinois. All right. Which is a solid blue, I'm guessing, because it's the president's home state.
3: Well, um, it would be solid, except that I'm in the middle of it. Oh. Man, I'm probably red. So
2: All right. Well, we had a couple of uh red Illinois uh folk Illinois uh, Illinois years. How do we Illinoisans? People from yes, Illinois, Illinois calling. Them. All right. So what are you are you wanting to uh did you hear that whole discussion about polls? Yeah,
3: I was I was uh, fascinated. Um I was listening to it while I was waiting. And I was uh, I was really fascinated at how long uh... it took to come around to the conclusion that uh... polls are kind of unreliable <laughs> uh, and i don't mean any disrespect uh... to the fellow who is talking is very knowledgeable on the subject and and i certainly appreciate that uh... my fear is that sometimes people uh... look at polls uh... like reading tea leaves and and sort of uh... the ones who are wanting to go with the with the tide uh... look at it as a way to direct their own mind and the ones who buck against the tide uh look at the polls as as some kind of um oh, uh magic against their ag- against their will i suppose
2: i was and, uh, uh, i was managing I, a congressional campaign i was managing a congressional campaign and and uh, he was recommended to me as a possible pollster for our campaign to use and so I was meeting with uh lots of different um consultants who could offer all different kinds of data and information for you. And, uh, and when we sat down and were looking at, you know, because it's a, a business, uh, he came to the meeting with, uh, a presentation. He had a real good, he had a much better handle on what was going on in my district that we were running for than I did. And he was in, he was okay. in New York th- looking at 19 other things. It just, he had, uh, um, an amazing – he just the, the the pros just know how to think of these things and they know how to they're they're trained in the art of, of uh managing okay, I know, you
3: know, I, I know if I have um let's let's look at it in a more of the uh, person who's voting sort of standpoint. If um if you find out that I have pork uh for dinner every Thursday night, let's say, and I have for the last twenty years. I haven't really, but I mean let's say that I have. And uh you find out that, that I eat pork uh every Thursday night and uh, you're coming up on a Thursday, maybe a month or two from now, and and you want to know if I'm going to have pork or fish, uh, and you find out that statistic. Well, you're gonna you're gonna bank on me having pork. But what you may not know, is that during that time, uh, you know I've had a trip to the doctor, and my blood pressure wasn't what it should be, and and uh, you know I've got uh, uh, issues with uh, you know my heart or something like that, and and I've been told to cut out the pork, uh, you know, to save my life. Now, you might call me, uh, you know, a determined uh, voter for that one thing. You might say, "Well, that Thursday, you're going to eat what you what you traditionally eat." But you don't know my new motivation, and you don't, you know, you may not have insight into why I would be doing something differently. Now, with the election, let's put it over into politics. Uh, with the election, uh, there are motivators uh, that are out there this year for the presidential election that weren't there uh, four years ago. There are motivators uh, in personal lives of people uh, that weren't there eight years ago or 12 years ago. So pork may not be on menu uh, on Thursday. It may be something completely different. Now the economy uh, is worse than it ever has been. At least in, in my lifetime, I'm 48. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so what you know, what motivates me might be completely different than what motivated me four years ago uh, to vote for somebody else. So the poll wouldn't catch wouldn't catch that, and if you're relying on a poll, uh, either to determine policy and in, in how you campaign, that would be dangerous, uh, <laughs> or in policy as to you know how you're going to vote, uh, which might even be more dangerous. And I do understand that people look at polls, and there's sort of a, a herd mentality sometimes toward voting that that uh, people you know like a, like cattle. Uh, everybody's going to vote for this person, so you know I want my vote to count, so I'm going to do that. Uh, That's a dangerous thing. Uh, I like the polls that agree with what I say, (laughs) uh, and I don't like the polls that don't agree with what I say.
2: Well, but Uh, this this is the thing. Everybody's
3: about the same as I am.
2: This is the thing. I mean, these guys make a lot of money, uh, so that campaigns can use them as a tool. I mean, I think as consumers of polls, we're looking at certain kinds of polls, like you know, we're looking at uh, and the polls where there's. real what's what's the word where there's real suggestibility where they they actually they they uh i have somebody they condition the response you know they they uh they they'll find groups of people that have uh, a particular level of sophistication about something, and they'll try and they'll just try and massage it. So you look at Fox News, and Fox News is always giving you polls that show uh, Republican candidates as you know on the rise, or you know that they're that the, the tide of their their the slip of their candidate has stopped. You know they're they're just they're just giving you polls that that tell you what you that, that try and create a reality uh, for you. And the same thing with MSNBC and and with with within all the campaigns, but. I, What gets me is that there is a science uh, to a large degree of science that these guys use uh, that will allow for a certain number of people who will have stopped eating pork because of their health. They will. You know what I mean? They'll they'll, and they and they're so uh, there's there's something what
3: I I wonder about. I'm sorry, what I wonder about. Uh, especially in the in the bullpen. and you mentioned the, the differences of the news and, and I really lament the fact that the news has become what it is. Uh, uh to be perfectly honest with you, Fox News is probably on in my house more than any other. Uh, but I, I'm aware that it's it's tilted to what you know, to what I want to hear. Um, so you know, if I wanna have a pleasant day, Fox News is on uh in the morning because I don't want to be contradicted in the morning. So <laughs> there it is. You know. Uh, they, well, they're uh, all they're providing a, a, a
2: useful to uh, they're, they're, the, the news stations. Whether you love them or hate them, there is you are getting information. You know, you're getting it through a prism, but you're you're, you're getting data. You're seeing clips and footage of things. You're you know, there's Fox is a uh, Fox for a couple of years now seems to be the fastest at getting certain uh, kinds of data out to the public. You know. Relative to yeah, their their yeah. competitors, and and um, I mean after it's the it's the opinion stuff that that is the uh, hard for me to stomach sometimes. I mean after the the uh, the debate, I, I I knew I needed to hear what was going on in Fox. I needed to know what Sean Hannity was thinking. I wanted to know what Brit Hume had going on. I wanted to know what all these people were doing. But I would kind of like have to like tense up like I was doing a crunch or something. <laughs> I would listen to it, um, and yet you know so well, I you know
3: I really miss the days when. Um, uh you know and, and we still have it. You can find uh news that's not that's unfiltered. Uh you know, just the who, what, where, when, uh, why and how.
2: It's so boring uh, though, isn't is, it?
3: Is, is, yeah, you, know, you gotta almost you almost gotta go to uh, strictly radio or, you know, if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have an A P wire service or you know, uh I mean but just to get that anymore is very difficult. But uh, back to this original thing what I was what I was uh lamenting or what I'm what I'm concerned about. Is that uh, you know people gauge their opinion by other people's opinion, and uh, you know we were always when I was a child I was, I was raised to be sort of a free thinker. Um, you do what you want to do. Uh, if you're a, a member of a group uh, and the group is going in a direction that you don't like, you change it. That's uh, my father sent me out uh, into my social world that way. Um, you know if a, if there's a bad joke that's being told, you don't you don't appreciate it. Don't laugh. Change the conversation. Make everybody go a different direction, that kind of thing, mm. and this uh, follow mentality of uh, you know seeing which way the masses are going, seeing which way the herd's going to run, uh, so that we can make up our own mind. I, I, I vehemently, uh, strongly, uh, disagree with that, and uh, just on a on a on a fundamental principle of of living your own life the way that you feel you should. Keep- you know, uh you know I'm voting. Uh, Unless, you know, unless pork uh, is suddenly going to threaten me on, on that particular Thursday, actually that particular Tuesday, I suppose you'd say, uh, you know, I'm probably going to be voting for Romney. Now, I didn't make up my mind completely. I, I, I lean Republican. Um, you know, that's I voted since uh, 1980 in every uh, major election, and I started out uh, conservative. In fact, I had a high school teacher uh, try to tell me who I should vote for, uh, that first year that I voted, and her her pleading was, uh, if you start out that conservative, there's no telling how you'll be by the time you're in your 50s. Well, here I am close to my 50s, and I'm just as conservative as I was when I was 18, and maybe um, a little less so. That would probably shock that teacher, uh, but um, – but still holding to, uh, especially fiscally. Uh, let me
2: uh, let system. me place something for you. Tell me this is this is for you. This is on the GOP uh, website, and this is a, a compilation that's sort of the the three key things that they think are why someone should vote for uh, Romney. And they 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 pull uh, moments from his debate thing. It's it's just a it's like forty seconds, and it's got music to it and everything else. But I, I pulled it, and I just I just here, tell me what you think of this afterwards. Hold on, here we go. Okay.
6: But that's not what you've done in the last four years. That's the problem. In the last four years, you cut permits and licenses on federal land and federal waters in half. When we're talking about math that doesn't add up, how about $4 trillion of deficits over the last four years, $5 trillion. That's math that doesn't add up. I-, I think you know that these last four years haven't been so good, as the president just described, and that you don't feel like you're confident that the next four years are gonna be much better either. <laughs>
2: So the the Chiron thing says, uh, vote for your favorite debate moment. Number one, that's not what you've done. Number two, it doesn't add up. And number three, these last four years, those are the three clips he played. What you play. what do you think?
3: Well, I, I actually watched it in context uh, when I was watching the debates, um, and uh, well, you know, I, I thought that was a score uh, on his part, not so much in uh, in what he said or how he said it, but that he said it. Uh, I think this uh, president isn't used to being uh contradicted um well, i guess most presidents Recently. probably aren't used being contradicted yeah yeah but uh yeah i think uh you know i i think that was a, a score I, I think obama in the in, in the last debate and you you'll hardly hear a republican say this but i think obama won the last debate
2: no um, a lot of the republicans i've seen it saying it and then they were more
3: composed he didn't stumble over his words uh, you know and he he presented himself he didn't give a real plan as far as i was concerned as as what he plans to do with the next 4 years now, did, that's an uh, interesting thing to the people better.
2: That was the what you just said right there is the big uh knock that the the that the Romney campaign said afterwards and that a lot of the uh, they were saying he didn't lay out a vision for the next 4 years. And I and they said that over and over again just what you just said. Um and mm-hmm. I I kept thinking well in 2008 there was this huge you know this. This it was an inspirational. It was an aspirational and inspirational campaign. They had hope and change, and and soaring rhetoric, and stadiums full of people, and and everything else. And, and the Republicans the whole time were saying like, "Where are the details? Where are the details? Where are the details?" And now I, f- I feel like you know he's he's been sobered through four years of not being able. I think he would love to to uh, find a victory in collaboration. You know the the real key to to people were, have finding com- political entities finding compromise is where they can both walk out of it claiming victory, and I think he would love to have that kind of victory, and he's and but he's. Both failed at and then also just confronted, been confronted with a, a, a totally intransigent op- opposition. But, but my point is that now he's a much more sober guy than he was before. And he says, you know, this is a policy that we're pursuing. We want to keep pursuing that. This is, you know, when it comes to uh, taxes, he's basically saying he wants to tax the upper income people a little bit more. He wants to keep the taxes low, but, but he's he's not sort of laying out a grand vision for what that's going to represent in terms of like everybody's going to have a. a you know, what, their, yeah. their lifestyle is going to be well, yeah. totally.
3: Nobody um, uh, so far, and I nobody really impresses me on on the taxation issue. Um, I'm I'm a flat tax uh, proponent, uh, biblically, um, and I, I follow the Bible by the way. <laughs> uh, biblically, that's the way God set up uh, taxes. That's it, what tithe is. It's ten percent. Ten uh, percent of a million dollars is, uh, you know, to, to a millionaire is equal to ten percent of a person that makes a hundred dollars. You know, ten percent of their income. It's fair. Uh, the problem we have is loopholes, uh, you know, and ways to get out of that, and and uh, you know, cover ourselves a little bit. And I would be a proponent of getting rid of all the loopholes and going to a flat tax. But it does seem to me, um, it, what you're saying, kind of sounds like the argument that yeah, he hasn't laid out a, a plan this year because his plan is. Uh, we're just going to keep doing uh, what we've been doing. We're, we're on the right road. We're, we're trying to make it work. Uh, you know, we wish for a little more cooperation. Uh, so we're doing this. We want to continue it. We're doing this. We want to continue it.
8: Well, and, I think, a, uh, I really I think there's a, a distinction
3: for me.
2: Go ahead.
8: Well,
3: I'm just saying. I just don't want. I don't want a continuation of the last four years. I, I think it has moved in in the wrong direction. I'm down here in um, uh, Southern Illinois coal country. Uh, I'm situated between uh, three. Uh, coal mines. Um, most of the people that I know, uh, a lot of the people that I know either work or know someone who does work in a coal mine and coal's been a dirty word pardon the, the pun uh, been a dirty word at uh, the last four years and uh, they have really felt the heat, the people that I know uh, despite what, what's being said right now in all the debates they have felt the heat against the coal industry uh, and they felt the push from the administration against the work that they do and right now, that is a very viable, uh, if, at least for Southern Illinois, a very viable source of, of energy and a very important uh, uh, provider of jobs. So, you know, four more years of that is going to see a lot of the people that I know, a lot of the people below Chicago, uh, in, in a lot of pain and a lot of hurt.
2: Well, I... Uh you know, I can't remember the debate if uh, it was. I think it was oil on uh, federal lands that was really kind of, in terms of the energy discussion, the domestic energy production discussion. Do, do, was it was coal? Was coal a part of that in this recent debate? I don't think it was.
3: I don't think coal was mentioned uh, specifically. No, it wasn't. We're, we're we're really looking at oil a lot more right now. Um, I, you brought that up, and I think that's an interesting. Uh, that's a very interesting point. Um, you know, I, I watched some of the fact checkers. Um, and you got to kind of watch them from every every source, uh, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox, because the fact checkers sometimes get different facts, as it turns out. But uh, um, anyway, I was watching some of the fact checkers, and uh, uh, the um, uh, Romney was correct with the fourteen uh, percent reduction. Uh, you know, it's been in um, in private lands that we've seen the increase, uh, where there isn't the government regulation, uh, and. The others had been just practically flattened uh, by the government uh and that's you know if i can be real simplistic uh this is what i tell my kids this is what i've I've told people they ask me the difference between uh republicans and and democrats uh in all fairness and i I try to make this sound you tell me if i'm being prejudiced in the way i say it uh prejudice toward one party or the other but uh i've always believed that you know republicans are smaller government uh less incentive as far as uh, you know, entitlements, uh, but but more work on the individual part uh, with less interference. And Democrats are more government uh, assistance to get whatever job you want to do uh, done. Uh, but then that comes with the with the cost of of uh, tax increases and and having to you know finally pay for that in some way or another. Now, as as a uh, I'm a, a fiscal conservative. I'm a social, in a lot of ways, it's social liberal. I won't say in every way, but in a lot of ways it's social liberal. I believe that we ought to be helping uh, one another. So a lot of the the democratic plans in social issues make sense to me. Uh, You know, After you get outside of the abortion issue and a few others, uh, they make sense to me. But um, fiscally, uh, I like a smaller government. And fiscally, I want the government to stay out of my way. Uh, I'm not a rich person. I probably make less than Oh, probably less than a high school student who's got a part time job delivering newspapers or something that uh that uh, I'm happy doing it less or doing it more uh with the government not looking over my shoulder and that's what well
2: I, I think uh i I think you've just communicated a really you know solid perspective um, i i don't uh one thing that i think so i don't want to try and correct or or offer a, a an opposing viewpoint about you know bigger bigger government smaller government the way you know to, I sort of have a joking answer to um, I, I was going to correct you and say that you know, or not correct you, but sort of agree with you I, I think everybody cares about poor people, I think everybody wants the working people to be able to keep more of their own and, and to be able to build a life that's that's more comfortable for themselves and be able to work hard but not have to work so hard that the the quality of their life isn't enjoyed and want their children to be able to uh, have great educations as far as they want to go and, and have um, uh, you know jobs and, and be able to, you know, care for themselves and ha- and have uh, quality health care. And, you know, I, I think everybody, I think everybody like essentially wants the same kinds of things. And it really just gets down to um to priorities and a sort of order of operations. And this idea that government gets out of our way is like we we use government all over the place. And I think a lot of times government uh, is and 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 i think republicans are absolutely right that like you know do you want the government to to manage something when they're just not that good at doing it and government is terrible at at handling certain functions and it's just not what they it's not their core competency it's not it's not what historically right. governments have ever done well but For my money, uh, you know, and and the one area I didn't hear you say that a lot of, I hear a lot of conservatives kind of describe the differences, is that, uh, you know, centralized government, you know, that, that a lot of Democrats really believed in, you know, concentrating, uh, you know, um, um, decision making in, in the in the in the national government the federal government whereas uh you know they they would hold that you know as much uh, responsibility as can be left to the states that 's really where uh you know our our government was originally designed to to be operated from and and you know for my money i think that we uh, we can expect more from our government i think we can ex- i want it all i want our government to be uh as efficient as possible i want it to be as um Comprehensive as possible. When we want it to, you know, work in a particular area. Um, and I, and I think it's just a question of, you know, when I, he, when I hear Romney talk about the, the, his tax policy, I really, I really don't understand 20% tax. Tax cut across the board—that just seems insane to me. I, I, I don't know if that's one of those. You walk into the the, the, the bazaar and you sort of offer twice as much as you're willing to settle for, so you can kind of negotiate your way down or something like that. The way he gets it, but twenty percent tax cut across the board just seems psychotic. But uh, that's just me. Uh, so so, but when I hear the the Republican policies, I wonder how long it'll take for this uh, for the entrepreneurship to to uh, really build based on the the uh you know the, the loosening up of certain regulations or the 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 releasing of capital and because you know, I'm
8: like, I'll tell you
3: um, I've I've met many people uh just you know over the last five or six years. Uh you know, small businesses in, in southern New Illinois. Uh are sort of a in the small town that I'm in, uh there's one building <laughs> that uh, comes up least about every three months or maybe, well, let's be honest, probably about every four or five months um, is that a restaurant or or something we'll try to, to open something up in and, and then they, they bottom it out and, and can't make it and it's empty for a while and then something else is in it. The big joke is when there's a restaurant you like and then you better eat in it soon because pretty soon it won't be there. And I think, you know, small businesses, whether it be restaurants, whether it be print shops, whether it be computer repair places, whatever it may be, you know these are these are people that um you know uh, you know maybe they've just gotten married uh, maybe they've just moved out of their their parents house uh, you know maybe they just got out of college uh, but they they need every penny uh to make something float not only do they need uh you know I'll use the phrase again but not only do they need the government to sort of step out of the way but they're also going to be banking on everything that they've learned and everything that they know and their own very, very hard work uh, to get something done. Now, when they do that, uh, if they fail, uh, you know, if I'm a poor manager and I fail at something, well, you know, I answer to my family, and and if I have any employees, I answer to them, uh, and that's where it ends. Um, if the government fails, if the government tries to help me build that thing, if they regulate me and they they give me uh, money because of the regulation and, and because they're involved in it. Uh, in whatever degree, uh, and it fails, well, that's a little different. Then I have to go to my family or to my employees, who I'm I'm responsible for, and explain to them why it failed. But the government, uh, if they did that to me, then they did it to somebody else and to somebody else and to somebody else, and it's a much bigger cancer uh, than what it would be if it were just me going out on my own.
8: Now, you know,
3: I, I'm, my dad was a Truman Democrat, if you know what that is. Um, yeah, the buck stopped the with him. A, what
2: <laughs> the buck stopped with him.
3: Yes, it did. <laughs> and you know, he was um cantankerous. Uh he went home uh the most unpopular president of his uh you know, up up until in history until that time. No one greeted him at the train station when he got off uh in Missouri when you know when he got home. Uh and and I mean it was uh he was just looked at terribly. But now history's been kind to him. Uh in that he he scored victories without compromise, and there's a big there's a big resounding you know if there should be an alarm that goes off with that. Uh, victories without compromise. I, you know, politi- yeah, well, yeah, politics is compromise, I understand that, and you know bipartisan victories are wonderful when they happen, but we need somebody, and I don't I, you know I'm I'm hoping Romney will be that guy. He may not be, but I know Obama isn't. We need somebody who can champion a cause. Carry it through, do what they said, either not promise it if they know they can't do it, or promise it and get it done, whether there's going to be bipartisan help or not. And, you know, we've had some presidents like that in our lifetimes. Uh, It's a rare thing, but it's a beautiful thing when it
2: happens. Well, I think you've done a – I think you've done a – the conservative perspective, a uh – a real service. I'm glad that you, uh, I, I think, I hope you become a, I hope you call into the show a lot and share your opinion. Uh, you and I are coming at things from a slightly different perspective, but I want to, uh, I, we got, the show's almost over and I want to play another little, uh, set of zingers from them. So thank you for your call. And I, I think the, uh, you probably had a lot of people out there shaking their head up and down listening to you. All right. Thank you, Sean. Thanks. Well, well, there you go. I'll let it stand. Um, here's, uh, zingers from the, uh, presidential debate and then we're almost done.
6: Mr. President, have you looked at your pension? Kenny, have you looked at your pension? You at your pension? Jo- Johnny, so. we're... Uh... Uh, Mr. Pen- President, have you looked at your pension?
12: You know, You're... I don't look at my pension. It's not as big as yours, so it doesn't well, take... Well, a...
2: well, how come it's stuttering here? It's already making up, let me up Johnny... The, uh... Let's go back here again. Let's try it again. Hopefully it won't stutter. These are some good ones. Listen to that one again.
6: Mr. President, have you looked at your pension? Kenny. Have you looked at
2: your pension? I'm fully loaded. I don't know why. I've got to say. Right, Mr. Pen-
12: President, have you looked at your pension? You know, your- I, I don't look at my pension. It's not as big as yours. So.
2: <laughs> I can't blame it if it's a so good one. It well, Let me give you some advice. I don't check
6: it that often. Let me give you some advice. <laughs> look at your pension. You also have investments in Chinese companies. Yeah. You also have investments outside the United States.
12: And Governor Romney says he's got a five-point plan. Governor Romney doesn't have a five-point plan. He has a one-point plan. And that plan is to make sure that folks at the top play by a different set of rules. You'll get your chance in a moment. I'm still speaking. Well, My, and the under, answer is I don't believe people think
6: that's the case question, because that an wasn't a question. Okay. That was a statement. I think I was supposed to get that last answer, but I want to point out that I, I don't believe.
12: I don't think so, Candy. I, I don't well, believe. I don't to make sure our, our timekeepers are okay. working The, the time, time keep
1: g- are all working, and all let me right. tell you that the last part, there's, it's, it's the, for the two of you to talk.
2: Wow. I don't know. Anyhow, another? some good.
1: It isn't quite as orders as you think, but go ahead and use this two minutes any way you'd like to. The, the question is on the floor.
12: Well, I think Governor Romney was for an assault weapons ban before he was against it. And he said that the reason he changed his mind was in part because he was seeking the endorsement of the National Rifle Association. So that's on the record. You said in the Rose Garden, the
6: day after the attack, it was an act of terror. It was not a spontaneous demonstration. Is that what you're saying?
12: Please proceed, Governor.
6: I, 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 I want to make sure we get that for the record, because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Get the transfer.
1: He did, in in fact, sir. So let me let me call it an act of terror. Can you say that a little louder, Candy? He he did call it an act of terror. It did as well take it did as well uh, take uh, two weeks or so uh, for the whole idea of there being a riot out there about this tape uh, to come out. You're correct about that.
6: The administration, the administration, ...indicated that this was a a reaction to a a video and was a spontaneous reaction. It It took them a long time to say this was a terrorist act by a terrorist group.
2: All right, everybody. Those are some last uh, zingers from the second presidential debate. Monday night, international relations, foreign relations debate between Governor Mitt Romney, the challenger, and your sitting president of the United States, Barack Obama. I will be in... The Dominican Republic, hopefully watching, and uh, and I'll be there next week as well. So hopefully there will be uh, some sort of a phone line, Skype patch, something possibility so we can bring this next uh, episode to you as we wind down. A couple weeks left till the election. Hopefully you're paying attention. I want to thank Francisco Castro, who's been here on the boards helping us today. Johnny Ice, as always, and all of our callers, Linda, Brett, Sarah, and the gang, everybody else who called in. Um, it was a good show. I look forward to the next one. Find your nearest pollster and tell them what you think. (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everybody.
0: You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.